Good morning. Our scripture lesson this morning is from Paul's book to the church at Rome. I will be reading Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 20, the Common English Translation. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. If possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourself, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, Revenge belongs to me. I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. By doing this, you will pile burning coals of fire upon his head. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Alice. So this is the sixth week of the Lenten season, and we have been taking a journey uh, titled 40 Acts. And most of us are familiar with the Lenten tradition of giving something up during the season of Lent, but this season you were invited to take a 40-day journey with 40 opportunities to give of yourself, not give something up but rather give something of yourself away during this journey. So we have utilized Facebook posts along with a website from 40X to encourage each of one of you through daily devotions and opportunities to do this. And then to post some of them. Let us know how you're doing on this journey. If you remember, the whole idea of this is to give each and every one of us the opportunity to begin to develop a little bit different pattern maybe in our lives. To learn to give of ourselves a little bit more. And to do so for the greater purpose of God's kingdom as we serve in the world around us. That through deliberate practices we could learn to live sacrificially. We could give ourselves completely to a community of faith that we are in love with and that loves us. And through that community serve the world for God's glorious purposes. That's our journey. That's what we are on together. So today we're going to consider what it means for us to overcome then a part of being community, and that is the innate desire to either withdraw or lash out, to deal with complicated relationships in a healthy way rather than the norm of conflict in the world, right? For most of us, we find ourselves in one of two categories when it comes to conflict. We are quick to fight or we are quick to flee. You've heard that term, right, before, fight or flight, right? I've got 12 weddings that are scheduled this year, of which I am doing most all of them. I'll be officiating all of them. That means that I do the premarital counseling with each one of the couples that's going to get married here. I've got some folks here this morning that will probably remember sitting and visiting with Jim, a couple of you that find yourselves in that category. Each one of you goes through four different moments or four different hours of sitting with Jim and talking about all of these different kinds of things that come in the new relationship of being married. So if I've got 12 weddings this year with four uh, meetings for each one, you do the math as to how many meetings I'm going to find myself in, right? I've got a couple, two or three coming up on the calendar. You can laugh with me at that, friends, right? You know? So it just lets you know that I work a little bit more than two times on Sunday morning for 20 minutes each. You know the old preacher joke, right? 
One of the sessions, though, deals with a particular topic. We spend about an hour talking about conflict in particular. And there's a very good reason for that, because they say statistically that the number one reason relationships end today is unresolved conflict. People just cannot figure out how to resolve their differences in a healthy way, right? And it's usually because conflict occurs around some things that we're just not quite aware of, we're not paying attention to. Conflict is a result of things like fear of loss, that we feel like we're going to lose something. It is also about emotional or physical insecurity. Extreme control of one partner over the other can create conflict. Unmet expectations or needs that are often not even mentioned anywhere in the relationship can be another reason for conflict. And then violation of values. All of us are given a set of values by our parents or those that formed and shaped us. There's a tape that runs in our head that tells us this is the normative way of life and how things are to be. But in two people, your tape is not exactly the same because you were formed and shaped by different people. And so that clashes because there's differences in values. And we respond to that. At the moment of conflict, we find ourselves responding to it. We can suppress as one mechanism that we might use. So we just don't get engaged in the conflict whatsoever. We just simply take it in. We harbor it within us until it gets to the point that we can't hold it anymore. And then we just explode like a time bomb, right? But for the most part, we're trying to figure out how to just maintain peace and order. Because that's what we desire the most. And so we don't engage in the conflict, we suppress it. Others of us, we rush headlong into it with blame. We want to blame our partner that's offended us for some odd reason. We tell him it's your problem, go fix it. Once you have fixed it, then you can come back. I'll accept you for who you are. We'll get back into our relationship, but not until you fix your issues, right? We blame. Or, worst case, we punish. We don't attack ideas, we attack people, and we punish one another. We ostracize, and if ostracize doesn't work, then we just simply cut off the relationship permanently. The ways in which we deal with conflict, but what we know is, is they're not very healthy ways. Particularly for a community of faith that is gathered around the idea of God's love and love for one another. The idea of binding ourselves in intimacy and union. To be able to see conflict as an opportunity for that. You might might be thinking in your head in this moment a, a situation. You might know somebody at the moment that you find yourself conflicted with. It might be a family member. You might be sitting pretty close to them right at the moment. Usually when two people are conflicted, there's a certain amount of physical distance between them that is apparent, but they don't overlap. But you might be in conflict one with another, but it also might be a family member that's not here today. It might be a boss, a co-worker, a neighbor that you're having a moment of tension with, right? Hopefully it's not any of your children that are sitting with you, sweet little Johnny or Susan, that you're in conflict this morning with, right? No? All good? Good. But you just think about it for a moment. Human nature is for many of us, when it comes to conflict, to simply try to figure out the route that works best for us to resolve it. But often the route to intimacy is the one that we do not take. And yet that's what we're encouraged to. 
to take the opportunity to grow in our understanding of ourselves and one another. Because there's a better way to handle this. If you think about Paul and Paul's understanding of Christian discipleship, I think that's one of the central threads for him is he wants us to be a people of intimacy, a community of faith that is gathered together and bound by a deep love for one another. Our primary objective is to fall in love with God to the point that it also sponsors our love for one another and intimacy. It should be profound in our lives, so profound that it also exudes into the world around us as we share it with all of God's children and all of God's people. But it takes intentional practice to get there, to create intimacy. We all know, we've heard this over the last few weeks, that Paul now finds himself at the point in his life where he is heading for his next mission field. We know that Paul believes that God is calling him to where? Spain. Thank you for those of you who've been paying attention. Right? He's headed to Spain, right? The next place that he wants to preach the gospel, to form new faith communities. Paul plans on traveling there, but he's going to do that by going through Rome. You remember his, his letter, he says that I plan on coming to you to visit you on my way to Spain. The interesting thing that we know is, is Paul does not know these Christians in Rome, and the Christians in Rome do not know Paul because Paul did not found the church. He has not been to Rome at any time during his ministry. They only know him by reputation and now by the letter that he has sent to them. It is his letter of introduction to the Roman community. He is spelling out for them the very understanding of the gospel that he has been preaching and will continue to preach when he goes to Spain. Now some of the commentators, as I've mentioned, speculate that his ulterior motive is to maybe get them to sponsor his mission journey, right? For them to give him a monetary gift that will send him on his way to Spain. But either way, Paul is sharing with them his understanding of God's work. Chapters 1 through 11 is the story of what God has done for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. And in Jesus Christ, God has done the work that redeems every single one of us, that forgiveness of sins is for every one of us, and it is not something that we can earn, but rather are given as God's great gift. But there's something that Paul intends when it comes to that gift that it be something that you receive and also begin to live out. And so when he gets to chapter 12, he talks about how this is supposed to be a transformative experience for every single one of us. He begins the chapter by saying, be living sacrifices, right? He's reminding us of how we are supposed to now live our lives sacrificially, giving ourselves away, and that in this new practice of being a living sacrifice, Our minds will be transformed, changed according to Paul. That we'll begin to see the world differently. That we'll see one another as children of God. And we'll act in that way. That's Paul's message, right? And he does this because he believes that we are supposed to be one integrated body of Christ. He reminds us that this is for all of us. All of us, living sacrifice. All of us, minds changed because we are an integrated body. Not just some of us. It's not for the pastor and the staff. It's not for just the church leaders. It is for all of us as the body of Christ. We do so through our spiritual gifts that God has given every single one of us to live out in the community of faith. This is our genuine love that we express for one another, the duty of the love that we inherit. 
And from that we begin to do some things that are just a little unique or different than what the world does. We give generously to those in need, to one another, but more importantly to the stranger that we've never met. We bless those who oppose us. We don't curse them. We rejoice with one another when appropriate. We cry with one another when needed. We treat each other as equals, even though socially and economically many of us are not equals. And we stop acting like we're the smartest person in the room, which means that we listen more than we speak. Paul recognizes these as generous actions, but he also recognizes that these won't necessarily be warmly received. That often in this there is an element of conflict that does come out. And so Paul pushes us just a little bit further in his teaching. He says if someone rejects your generosity, then don't act with retaliation. Rather, continue to do even more good because that is what is right. If someone rejects you and the best that you can do is then continue to be a peacemaker when somebody rejects you. And don't determine to get even with people. Rather, he says, even continue to provide their needs, food and water. Paul's reminding us that we need to act differently than the world does. And in these habits and practices, we can begin to maybe negate our tendency to fight or flight. Instead, we can see what it means for us to enter conflict for a different purpose. A purpose of gaining intimacy, a greater intimacy with one another and with others. I think about this in the example of Christ, especially today on Palm Sunday. And the example that comes out when you read the Gospels, right? If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of the Gospels have an account of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. All of them are similar accounts in some ways. They all have Jesus riding a colt or a donkey. They all show the people laying down their cloaks and their coats on the ground, waving palms and shouting, Hosanna, save us, and blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. All four of the Gospels quote this. Psalm 118 is where their quote comes comes from. But, But when you read each one of them in tandem one by one, you will also notice that there are additions in some and subtractions from others. They don't all tell the exact same story. The thing that's central, though, to this story that you've got to remember is this. The people that gathered to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem wanted him to be one thing in particular. And that was their Redeemer. Not their spiritual Redeemer. They wanted Him to be their physical Redeemer. To redeem them, to liberate them from oppression in the world. So the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem is filled with the imagery of a royal conqueror who is coming to the city to conquer it, right? The conqueror would ride in on a colt or an animal as Jesus rode in on the colt himself. They would place cloaks on the ground and wave palms to signify the welcome of royalty as it came to the city. The well wishes of the crowd is a blessing upon the royal one or the conqueror that is coming into their city. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all proclaim this, the hopes of the people, Jesus as their conqueror, king who would come, the one who is the ancestor of David and would sit on David's throne. That is their hope. 
that Jesus would be their deliverer. What complicates the matter is that Jesus does not physically conquer Jerusalem. Jesus rather succumbs to death on a cross. I think of Philippians chapter 2. Some of you, those words might come to mind. The beautiful hymn that the writer put in in chapter 2 of Philippians, who said, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant. By being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death, on a cross. The conflict that would ensue happened because Jesus did not meet the expectations of the welcoming crowd. He did not take up the sword to lead them in victorious rebellion. No, Jesus humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. If you think about Paul's thread throughout chapter 12 and what his subtle message is, it is that every single one of us should live with that same attribute of Christ, the attribute of humility. That one of our main characteristics as Christ-like people is to be humble people. And to think of it and how it empowers conflict and how humility can be a part of that as we seek intimacy. As I take couples through the the time together and talk about what it means to look at conflict as an opportunity for intimacy, this is what comes out in our conversation. The first is, is that we all need to learn to hold our positions with great humility. Because our position may seem right to us in the moment, but that doesn't mean that it's right for everyone around you. Do you get that? We hold our own position in humility because it may seem right to us, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's right for everyone around us. And that what we need to learn to do is listen more and speak less. Adam Hamilton recently said that God gave us two ears, one mouth. What do you think that ought to mean? Listen twice as much as you talk. How many people do you know are really, really good at that? I don't see anybody volunteering to stand up and give a testimony on that, right? No? Anybody in the choir? Anybody in the choir still listening to me? That's what I want to know, right? Okay, you guys are all still awake. Okay. Yeah, so we need to learn to listen more. Now, one of the things that they say, though, is, is we need to learn to first listen to ourselves. Because often we don't know what our own motivations and anxieties are when it comes to holding our position. We're not listening to the tape in our own head. We're not listening to our own fears and anxieties. We're not listening to our needs or our expectations in that moment. So we need to listen to ourselves and find out what it is that is so important to us in that moment that we would do battle with our loved one, even to the point of risking our relationship with them. But then we also need to listen to what is the underpinning of theirs as well. And to hold our positions in humility. To listen to one another and share our values, our needs, our fears, our insecurities with each other. So that the conversation might become one where we bless each other. Where we seek to repair the relationship as we seek to understand each other. That it doesn't become about retribution or retaliation. But rather sharing in mutual benefit for the purpose of a greater intimacy with one another. 
You think about the Sermon of the Mount for a moment. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. Now you will notice Jesus did not say, Blessed are the peacekeepers. Because peacekeepers are people who have the tendency to take on the norms of the world. Fight quickly, get it over with, and get back to peace. Or flee so that peace is maintained in its semblance that it has. No, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. People who will willingly enter conflict pursuing the opportunity for greater intimacy with one another. As I mentioned last week, dear friends, we all know that relationships are messy, they are complicated, and we as God's people are called to a complicated, messy body of Christ where we can be in deep relationship with one another, where we can be held together in unity through the power of God's love and through that also have the ability to navigate any conflict that might come among us for the purposes of being united in intimacy. But it requires us holding our positions in humility, listening to ourselves and to one another, seeking the opportunities to bless one another, not retaliate, or have retribution. Continue to strive for care, mutual benefit. Be peacemakers in the world. So here's what I hope you take away from this moment that we've gotten had together. Some, some opportunities to learn in conversation with one another. To think about. To be reminded that conflict is a part of our world. A part of our lives. Our natural inclination is often the fight or the flight. That's what the world teaches us. But Paul is encouraging all of us to be followers of Jesus, to put aside the destructive behaviors of the world, to respond to the conflict that we experience in ways that will help us achieve a greater intimacy. Because ultimately, ultimately, that's what we need more of. We need the intimacy of Christ and the intimacy of one another to bind us together for God's common purpose and mission. So here's your invitation for today to take a moment and pray over and to consider this for yourself. What is your natural way in which you respond to conflict? Are you one of those that enjoys quick fights and get it over with? Or is your natural tendency the flight? And do you see today maybe the opportunity that you might have to listen a little bit more, to hold your position with humility, and to seek a third way in which you can now gain intimacy in your relationships. And how are you making space for that? Where is the space for you to have healthy conflict resolution in your life? Those are your invitations for today. And maybe we should just simply say today, I I amended kind of a phrase of Jesus as being quoted, but listen to these words as we close this morning, that maybe what we ought to be seeking is this. No greater love can we show to one another than to be humble enough to listen, make space, and seek intimacy. Because that's what it means for us to love one another. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious and merciful God, we thank you for this moment to continue this 40 Acts journey. The opportunities that we have had to share in giving of ourselves away in generous ways. But now to think about it in in the way in which it comes down to our conflict. And how we handle things. When we're rubbed the, the wrong way, are we quick to fight 
or do we flee from that moment? To know that in our most intimate of relationships, personal, here is a community of faith, oh God, that you might be calling us, inviting us to something different, an opportunity for us to grow, to gain intimacy, to be more united as a body of Christ. Help us to learn what it means to be people who are humble in our positions. Give us the opportunity to practice the art of listening more than we speak of understanding ourselves and our partners. Help us to seek above all, dear Lord, the door to intimacy. Help us to seek unity in you. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. I'm going to invite our ushers to come at this time.